to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It is great to be in worship with you. We're so glad you're here. I want to say a special Thank you to everyone who's been so kind, praying for us, uh, sending cards, well wishes. We feel super blessed uh, to welcome them, not only into our family, but also into the faith family here at Roswell Presbyterian Church. We feel such a joy and honor uh, to have such a loving, welcoming community. I'll be honest with you, um, we are very thankful that she's an expressive uh, baby. I... (laughs) You know, the Proverbs say pride goeth before a fall, and I know a, a number of the staff put on their prayer list after I was a little pompous about how I'd figured it all out with Major, he was perfect, sleeping through the night, it was all great, that now um, their prayers have been answered. <laughs> so we're having a good time. I, I want to thank the pastors who stepped in over the past few weeks for preaching for us, who closed out 2021, and then launched this new sermon series for this year. The short stories of Jesus. We're looking at the parables of Jesus. Today we're going to look at the parable of the sower. This word parable is a conjunction of two Greek words. You have para, which literally means uh, alongside. This is where we get the word parallel, right? And then the second half is balo, literally means to, to throw or to cast. So it's to cast alongside. A parable is something that you cast alongside your life creation, nature, and it's meant to show you something you couldn't see otherwise. So let us now see how God might speak to us through the parable of the sower that we throw alongside our lives today. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. Luke 8, verses 4 through 15. When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, let anyone with ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to others I speak in parables, so that looking they may not perceive and listening they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones on the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root, and they believe only for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for that, 
in the good soil. These are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patient endurance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak, or that you might help us see in ways that we haven't been able to see previously. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you recognize the light of Christ? Are you able to see what's right in front of you? In 1888, the Dutch painter Vincent van Gogh painted one of his most famous paintings based on this parable called The Sower. Against a backdrop of a yellow sun shining its luminous light, the sower throws out seed almost willy-nilly. He throws it wherever it will go. He throws it on the path where it might be trampled down. He throws it on the rock where it's too hard to take root. He throws it among the thorns who choke it out. He tosses it on the good soil where hopefully it will take root and flourish. And in the background, there's a yellow sun shining down, catching everything in its radiant light. For Van Gogh, the sun represented the kingdom of God, the presence of the divine in nature. The yellow sun stands in beautiful contrast to the blues and greens of the field. The yellow sun shines forth with the glory and beauty of God. Van Gogh chose this yellow for very specific reasons, but I'll get back to that. The sower is what we might call a meta-parable. That is, it's a parable about parables. Jesus says the good news of God is right there for us to see if we'll have eyes to see it. We have what we might call a promiscuous sower throwing seed wherever it wants to go with little regard for whether it will be received or not. He's taking the let a thousand flowers bloom approach. The sower just sows seed and sees what will happen. Maybe it will take root, maybe it won't. But you don't know if you don't try. I'm reminded of what Michael Scott said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. (laughs) And the sower agrees. God is a God who takes risks. I'm going to spread the good news whether people receive it or not. Now, most commentators, when they approach this parable, focus on the qualities of the places where the seed is sown. They look at the path and they say, how can we prevent our hearts from being trampled down so the seed doesn't get in? How can we avoid becoming like the rock with hardened hearts that the good news can't take root? How can we be good gardeners rooting out the thorns of our lives? How can we have fertile soil so the seed will flourish? But I wonder if that's really what the parable is about. 
Did you notice what Jesus says when his disciples come to him and ask him why he teaches in parables? Listen to this, verse 9. Then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to, but to others I speak in parables. Why? He says, so that, and then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. So that, looking, they may not perceive, and listening, they may not understand. Jesus seems to be saying that he teaches in parables so people won't understand? That seems very strange. Why would the greatest teacher that ever lived teach so people couldn't understand? One of the most influential filmmakers of the 20th century was a French minimalist named Robert Bresson. Bresson directed Diary of a Country Priest, Al-Hassard Balthazar, Pickpocket, among others. If all you ever watch are popcorn films, you might think Bresson's films are boring. I remember the first time I watched Diary of a Country Priest for a religious film class. The movie follows a whiskey priest. He's addicted to alcohol, and he suffers from depression self-loathing the entire film, wondering if his ministry will flourish, if he's, if he's inadequate, if he's a complete failure. And by the end of the film, you as the viewer are just worn out asking, how can I get those 90 minutes of my life back? <laughs> the next class, students gathered around, and we were all complaining. Was that the most boring movie you'd ever seen? Yes, by a long shot. How much boring could it get? No more boring. It was the platonic ideal of boring. And then the professor gets up. He says, I hear all you talking about how you thought the film was boring. Did you ever wonder why Bresson might have intentionally made the movie boring? Did you ever ask why he made the film like that? And I was like, <laughs> and the professor says this, Bresson loved Blaise Pascal. And Pascal, one of the great themes of his writing and thought is that human beings are often given over to distraction, that they focus in on entertainment, what is not important, what is superfluous in life. And they never focus in and give attention to what is most important. And the professor said this, if you find yourself bored in the movie, the film is critiquing or judging you, that you're unable to focus in a sustained way in what's most important. Brazon famously said, hide the ideas, but so that people find them. The most important will be the most hidden. And I believe Jesus' parables function in much of the same way. They're not always meant to be clear and easy to understand, instructing and informing us. No, oftentimes they're meant to cause a response. There's stuff in our lives that is hiding, hidden in plain sight that the parables are helping us see about ourselves, about the world, and about God. These stories 
sometimes will cause us to get angry, to get frustrated, to self-reflect, to stir our emotions. There is a long Jewish tradition of parables functioning like this in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before Jesus, the most famous king in all of Israel was King David. At the height of his power, he began to abuse and misuse his power. In fact, he took a woman who was not his wife, took her as his own, and had her husband murdered. Nathan the prophet finds out about this, and God calls him to go and confront David. He knows he cannot come and just confront David straight away. David is much too powerful, could have him executed, banished, who knows. So what Nathan decides to do, the prophet decides to offer a parable. He said, David, once there was a poor man who had a lamb, who raised the lamb from birth on as a member of his family. And next to the poor man lived a rich man, and a visitor came to visit the rich man. And the rich man went across the street to the poor man's house and took the lamb and had it slaughtered and served for dinner. David becomes apoplectic, indignant at this injustice. How could this happen? How dare this rich man take advantage of a poor man using his power and privilege in this way? And then Nathan says two of the most famous Hebrew words in the Old Testament. He says, ha aish. In other words, you are the man. Nathan says this parable I've just shared with you. It's critiquing you. You are the man. And it forces David to see what is in the plain sight of his life, but he's been unable to see the injustice he has perpetrated, the evil he has done. And because Nathan has offered a parable, David sees his complicity in injustice, sees his own sin, and it causes David to repent. The parable helps him see what is in plain sight of David's life. And that's how the parables function to help us see. Sometimes it's difficult. I remember during my first few months of grad school, I was playing basketball with some friends and we came outside the gym. One of the guys who was driving home had this car and there was a bumper sticker on it. It said, Eschew Obfuscation. And one of the our friend says, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and have you ever like laughed at something, but you don't know why it's funny? I was like, oh, 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 oh. that's a good one. I go home, I get my dictionary out. <laughs> e, eschew, deliberately avoid using, abstain from, what? Obfuscation, the action of making something obscure, unclear, or unintelligible. Oh, that is funny. It's saying, it's using obscure words to say, don't be obscure. Oh, the irony. This is especially funny for a seminary student whose job security would rely on making simple things appear complicated. (laughs) But that bumper sticker caused and demanded a response. That's how the parables function. They wake us up from our slumber, from our spiritual sleepwalking, and hopefully wake us 
and make us alive to our lives. Part of what it means to be human is to wake up, to be on the lookout for the true, the good, and the beautiful. But we are often sunk in everydayness. We're distracted from what's most important. We're busy, and we never focus in on what's most important, even those who are right in front of us. One of the saddest examples in my mind that comes to mind is Leonard Cohen's song, Famous Blue Raincoat. At the end of the song, Cohen signs off with it, sincerely, L. Cohen, he says, so that everything that's come before is a letter, autobiographical description of his life. It's a personal song about a woman named Jane whom he loved but eventually lost. And toward the end of the song, he speaks to someone who had helped set her free, and he says this, yes, and thanks for the trouble you took from her eyes. I thought it was there for good, so I never tried. It's an admission that he failed to see what was right in front of him, to really see, to really pay attention. He was going through the motions of his relationship. How many people I've met over the years who've been married for, for years, who wake up one day and say, oh, the, the person on the pillow across from me, I don't even recognize anymore. And I find that so sad to fall asleep to the beauty, to the person, the people in your life. How can we avoid falling asleep? How can we not sleepwalk through life? I think Van Gogh's Painting the Sower might offer us a clue. Many people don't know that Van Gogh was raised in the church. In fact, he wanted to be a minister. In fact, his father and his grandfather were both ministers. In his training, he had transformative ministry among coal miners. When he come up, came up before the governing board for ordination, he was denied because they said he wasn't a good enough preacher. Through that event... Van Gogh rejected the institutional church, and he said, I will minister through my painting. And one of the features of Van Gogh's paintings is the way he imbues common objects, stars, flowers, sowers, seed, with a numinous or luminous sacred quality. Through these common elements, Van Gogh says, the kingdom of God is breaking in. And he uses this famous yellow that he's so known for to symbolize the divine, sacred quality of life, the kingdom of God, God's presence breaking into our lives. So where did he come up with this shade of yellow? Well, Van Gogh, one of his favorite painters, was a French painter named Delacroix. He painted a painting in 1853 called Christ Asleep in the Tempest. In the painting, the waves appeared almost to overwhelm the boat. You can see the, the fear on the faces of the disciples. You can see one of the disciples reaching for an oar, another trying to steer the boat with the rudder, the terror on each of their faces. And what stands out in this image? Is Christ in the boat, and then you'll see 
his head with a halo of yellow around it. Van Gogh takes that yellow found in Christ and says that is illuminating all of creation. The yellow that radiates from Christ in the boat will radiate love and beauty in the world. The Christ who has the power over the wind and the waves, who radiates peace and grace and love. It is this same yellow that Van Gogh uses in his painting of the sower, saying, look out at nature, look out at the world. The Word of God is out there. God is present to us if you will have the eyes to see. And the parables are gifts to us. They're, they're guideposts to wake us up, to help us see what is right in front of our eyes. Maybe God is trying to speak to you through a neighbor, a friend, a family member. Maybe God wants to speak to you through work of art, a book, a movie, music. Maybe God wants to speak to you through starry night, a sunset. Maybe God wants to speak to you through someone who asks you for money as you walk down the street. God is sowing the Word of God throughout your life. May you have the eyes to see it and to flourish for the sacred divine presence, the radiating light of Christ is all around us. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great parable. May we open our eyes, our hearts to how you want to speak to us, Lord, that we might see you and your presence among us. In your name we pray. Amen.